0: hello and welcome to episode four of healing the divide podcast i'm so grateful to be sitting down today with gabriel axel montez gabriel is a neuroscientist a consciousness researcher and enthusiast a facilitator and musician he has 15 years of fusing neuroscience with mind hacking conducting research and teaching globally Actually, right now he's joining us from Hong Kong. So I think we're going to get a little bit into U.S.-China relations here at some point. Uh, but Gabriel is the founder of Neural Print, a patent-pending brainwave-based authentication technology and of Pathform, a platform for cultivating qualities of consciousness. He's the founding member and guitarist of the world's first music act featuring an AI-powered human humanoid robot vocalist i can't wait to get into this this is um oh. <laughs> um and you'll have to help me with the pronunciation but des desdemona's dream did desdemona's i pronounce this dream desdemona's dream aka jam galaxy band gabriel has been working in emerging technologies since 2017 including AI, virtual reality, blockchain, robotics, and internet of things. He advises on the integration of these technologies in the form of spatial web. And espouses beneficent orchestration of technological advancement and digital transformation. Also can't wait to dive into this. Um, Especially oriented toward resolving collective global challenges Gabriel is a father, a husband, and a world traveler. His passion is adventures in consciousness, a psychonaut of sorts, and the practical application. Gabriel, welcome to Healing the Divide. Thank
1: you, Scott. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm so grateful to have you here, man. And so for our, our listeners and viewers, Uh, Gabriel and I've known each other um, for a while. We both have a background in studying consciousness through the yogic arts and disciplines. Um, I've had the opportunity to sit in on workshops that Gabriel has facilitated and watch his journey from afar. And it's been utterly fascinating. So he's one of the first people I reached out to in creating this podcast because he is taking a unique Tack on the application of higher consciousness practices, fusing them with advancements in technology and applying them to critical spaces of, quite honestly, where existential risk um, lives. And I'm curious about all of that and excited to dive in um, to this long-form convo. So all this to be said... <laughs> First question I wanted to kind of hit you with, Gabriel, is as a neuroscientist. Um, so, put on putting on the neuroscientist hat for a moment, but also like the yogi hat at the same time. For someone who studied the nature of consciousness so up close, but from different lenses, how do you hold the relationship between science and spirituality? is there congruence? Is there conflict? Um, in terms of spirit consciousness, God by, I'm going to throw you all the loaded terms and just kind of get your big picture umbrella overview of these two ideas and, um, how they cohabitate or don't within your purview.
1: Great question. Um, I think, the feeling I have about almost the way I hold these ideas as well as everything in the collective sphere and in in myself as well as a developing you know consciousness um, is that the answer keeps changing and unfolding and evolving over the course of my life um, especially as you reflect on the past and let go um, of of and kind of reframe and and gain new perspectives on old questions or reframe questions themselves so you know I I would say sort of chronologically I was sort of born a scientist and then um it's sort of meaning I had a natural disposition for biology let's put it that way um in school and so on and it kind of that's just the path it sort of took me and I kind of you know homed in on on DNA and and cells and and then it once i became more interested in psychology and the mind it took me towards neuroscience um then you know i kept going with that through high school and when i was 15 i had a spontaneous out of body experience um and um it wasn't you know really deep out of body but it was it was out of body and there was perspective on my on on my on my body and i had this feeling that i was more than the body and I would say even going back, the first experience uh, that I re- recall was around when I was four or five years old, um, there was a um, a feeling of the soul, of being older than my body. Um, and uh, it, it's something that felt like it was across lifetimes um, in a way. And so uh, that feeling was never quite forgotten, but as my logical mind took over as I was growing up in school and just in life and so on, I had two doctor parents basically, so that's sort of let's call left brained tts that sort of that sort of um schema um that sort of the 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 twig and the tree kind of went that way right um and mm-hmm. I had to have reminders over the course of my life to to remember something more than. Kind of the material, even though I was always interested in the creative, the material. I grew I grew up a musician, so I always had that kind of let's say left and right brain t- tendencies. Um, so the way that I hold them now, and again, it's always changing. Uh, you know, year to year, six months to six months time frames, is that science it's sort of like an epistemology it's a way of knowing things meaning you are saying there is value in the collective advancement of our species in knowing things together and to know things together we use tools that we that a lot of us have access to and you know that that could mean and that we can communicate about in some sort of standard or standardized manner right so it's then that's different from kind of saying we use the same language and we say, do you see that over there? Yes. That does results in like common knowledge and culture that said, you know, there, there are ways of knowing that are also kind of third person, right. And empirical. And you could say, Oh yes, it has this shape. We have these measuring instruments, we can replicate it. And so th- there's value in this sort of exterior way of looking at things. Um, because of the nature of the way that knowledge evolves it's slower and then there's all of a sudden like a punctuated advancement you know uh, every so often in different fields and and uh and areas so it's fun it, it's it's fun to be connected to that because you know that you're you don't overinflate your own way of knowing something um that being said Uh, I've always felt that I'm sort of uh, ahead of the data in a sense, right? Like I'll read about something and it'll be, Oh, that's interesting way of looking at it. But how about a hundred years from now? How will we frame that? What's that going to sound like and be like, will this sound, you know, will this sound sort of, you know, ancient by the time that we get there? So I've personally have had more interest in how far can the consciousness go one aspect of science, even if someone doesn't know anything about science is sort of the scientific method of just sort of, you know, some degree of critical thinking, um, you know, asking a question, knowing the, you know, what response you get to that and seeing if, you know, how common this might be, if that matters, depending on what the question is. Right. Um, so I think for me personally, I sort of wore the neuroscientist costume and kind of took it seriously for a while, but I could feel the urge to go beyond it constantly. Um, Mm -hmm. And my heart and my, my, my sense of comfort is despite having, you know, my, my master's and my PhD and all that um, in neuroscience, my comfort is still in and, and where I feel the most excitement is the sort of the, the. The, the development of consciousness, um, individually, as well as making sense of things collectively, you know, dropping belief systems, that sort of stuff I feel is more like, you know, beyond university tier uh, in a way, um, of, of doing, I do feel that the foundation of neuroscience and science allows me to have good literacy and what I read and to question even, you know, whatever theories anyone comes up with, I'm like, well, you know, let's, let's take a look at that. How do you know that? What, you know, how one might know such a thing, not with this kind of um, snobby skepticism at all. Uh, It's more of like a, like a just playful inquisitiveness, you know?
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I, I can feel like the, the spirituality of science, like there's something so beautiful in i guess the word that i'll use is curiosity that is pervasive in the very premise of science itself the desire to ascertain truth and whether that is through objective means or subjective means it seems that based on our nature and our experience being inclusive of both of these aspects that they don't necessarily necessitate conflict or mutual exclusivity, but they actually possess this sort of complementary and co-creative quality that you seem to embody where the empirical knowledge and the instruments through which you come to it sort of keep you honest and uh, against the potential perils of subjective bias, and um, and yet to know enough to not be shackled or limited and confined to the empirical solely, that that sort of dry materialism leaves out the curiosity of who's asking, what are the limitations of the instruments by which we're measuring, what are the senses by which we're coming into making sense? And um, are are is there more available to us as a species? And even within the sort of constraints of just a purely evolutionary worldview, we are evolving. And what more is there discover, to discover within consciousness itself? So I, I, I love the answer and... I guess it sort of brings me to another uh, second question for you. Um, Do you believe after studying the brain in depth that the brain is the source of consciousness? Do you view consciousness as the source of the brain, body, material, not just individuality, but, you know, do you see consciousness as sort of part and parcel of matter? you know, from stardust to the chairs that we're sitting on. Um, Do do you see those relationships as even being causal one way or the other correlative? How do you hold the relationship between consciousness and matter?
1: Great framing um, and the the choice of words about causality, correlation, et cetera, all all really key. So um, after, after, you know, after sort of, tossing around this question um and grappling with this uh over a a while, um my sort of my sort of and again, all these conclusions are provisional because there's a a constant question mark in parentheses over you know how I'll language these things or how I'll perceive them. But I have a definite, I definitely have a heterodoxical view (laughs) or non-orthodox view in terms of being a neuroscientist. I believe so the kind of nuance I found as a way to explain this is that the brain is a producer of consciousness and the producer is like a movie producer, right? So the movie producer is where the resources come from. Like what resources are there to create a show, right? So the resources are wet wear, you've got tissues, you've got cells, you've got legs, you've got arms, you've got eyes, you've got all these different faculties, and you have cognition, decision-making, judgment. Okay, so let's put on a show with that. Let's make the greatest show we can with that and all the other actors that are like that. So the producer is not the source of the essence, the creativity, et cetera. They are a shaper. They're like a vessel. And so there's this is where we start to get into the trickiness of language because you can use the same word like mind and consciousness um, to mean different things. So, you know, are we talking about the water that's in the vessel or are we talking about the vessel itself? So by being the executive producer, I like to draw the distinction, meaning the brain as an executive producer, I like to draw the distinction there of it being the vessel that shapes the water. Let's use a crude analogy. Um, the water itself is going to be the way it's experienced is going to be initially filtered through this, this, this fractal, this hole on, right? This, this, this sort of, um, chunk of the universe that we call the human being and just like a baby learning to grapple with itself. And it's kind of in this oceanic, a dual, you know, uh, just ocean of awareness undifferentiated um, and learning to kind of like walk and understand what hunger is and understand this, you know, what mom is, what mom isn't. Those are, those are the kind of, that's the kind of process that goes as consciousness is going through the brain. Um, and the body. And, and in parentheses, I'll say there's a bit of neurocentrism uh, as well. Um, that's a very Western thing. Uh, I would say it's the brain is um, just one piece of the whole, uh, the, even in certain animals. And I think as a nematodes, if you cut off the brain, like you know, um, the body, the body will regrow or the brain will even regrow. I forget which way it is um, or parts of it will. Right. So there's, there's encoding all over the place. Uh, for other parts of our systems now, so I think at a at a non embodied consciousness, meaning the consciousness that is sort of more pre embodiment, I believe that there is something we can call consciousness there there is some materia there's some some substance, and I believe that that is graded in different ways, so there's sort of the most undifferentiated, which and I point up because it's it's just kind of the way that the geometry of our, of our spatial awareness, you'll point up to something that comes from the stars and before it's human, I think there's some intuition there. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. so I believe that there is something in the fabric of all of existence that if you try to say, no, consciousness is separate from that. That is a, almost a violent act where you're saying, no, you're, you're, you're trying to rip something out from part of itself. Right. Um, so, so, I'm not sure if someone might call this, I think most people will call this like panpsychism. I would, I would even go a step further. So I think panpsychism, again, words are interesting, right? Because we can say consciousness is everywhere, but a lot of times we expect consciousness to be, have some anthropomorphic quality and it's hard to get away from that. What is human like about something versus what isn't. So I would say, I like to use the word pan-experientialism, which is that, everything is having some kind of proto experience um and and it's it's part of the essence of that thing sort of um uh discovering its own existence and growing and it's part of its feedback mechanism there's going to be some aspect of experience there it's not going to be necessarily self aware like we are maybe it is maybe it's not that's a metacognitive layer on top of on top of an experience, right? Some degree of self-awareness that that network connection may not be active in every part of the universe, meaning every Mm -hmm. atom. However, I do believe there is some baseline that exists. And then depending on what form it's taking, the producer is different. So a plant is going to have a different, you know, an animal, different kinds of animals, different, so on and so forth. So there's, again, there's different terms, uh, that meaning different definitions of the same word. So mind, consciousness, big M, mind, little mind, M. These mm-hmm. things start becoming all sorts of uh, different directions.
0: First, I want to presence the beautiful sound of your little boy in the other room in the background. And for everybody that's listening, like Gabriel and I chatted about this when we were checking our sounds be- beforehand. And it's it's honestly, it's like, it's the most beautiful Symphony of laughter and play into the background of this conversation. Like, I would not want the podcast any other way because as I'm listening to you and hearing your story of like how you came into the world and the experiences, the out of body experience, (laughs) and like the sense of being soul and the sense of curiosity and into the science, and you hear this like little playful banter in the background, it just reminds me of the innocence of the journey of just. Wow. I mean, we are all such, such babies into this whole thing. And, and you, you <laughs> said that this is all a, you know, uh, well, I forget the word that you used. I think you said provisional. And it's funny because as you were saying that, I was writing down the great mystery on my notes and with a question mark. And I wrote next to the question mark to me, this is the most sacred symbol. Of all the symbology that we have. And so I just want to presence that. And then so to what you shared, if there is some sort of, I'm gonna I'm gonna simplify and summarize to the best of my ability, some sort of universal, let's call it just universality that pervades the diversity and multiplicity of the phenomenological experience. Call that by whatever name you will, we we'll, we can call it consciousness for shorthand. And, and I think we're both on the same page that we're not necessarily saying mind as the field through which that is expressed or, or brain, the biological organism that produces that expression or thought the mechanism of sort of molecular form that you to kind of like give shape to an, uh, this sort of concretizing of what we might call an idea that becomes belief. Not that, but the the, the substance, the, the essence of which this all is, but not just thought forms, but the idea that I hear you saying is that even into the density of something that seems to be solid in its properties, as the Buddhists and the quantum physicists might um share that if we could break that down. And ultimately there seems to be um, I want to kind of lean into the Vedanta teaching for a moment. There's one of the Mahavakas, um, it's like a sacred utterance for people that aren't familiar. Um, and it's called Pragnanam Brahmasi. And it says um, essentially Pragnanam is like with knowledge or consciousness is Brahman. And Brahman is the word actually our word branch. Um, is um etymologically rooted to this word that means to shine to expand to proliferate and that it that are we consciousness creating itself out of itself constantly and then maybe it's not a before which implies time but a behind which implies Behind this veil of space time, Maya or appearance, into projecting into this where the creation will match the frequency from which it's created. And that our impelled will would be to then raise the consciousness to create creations that bring the highest order of harmony um, to this experience of life. And if that's true, and we're in that a dual or non dual relationship to all that is. Then, a- and and if everything has that piece of it in it, then could we then make the argument that AI is that too? That AI is spirit. If a. It- yeah, that's deep. Um,
1: <clears throat> I mean you know that that covers a lot of different things and um so first of all about the the, the children um that's like my main practice right now really it's just the kids yeah. the ref, the reflection process um it's 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 just that is that is what it is it's here every day almost all day um I'm largely at home you know like I'm not really going to an office so I love that, you know, um, and we can talk more about that for sure. Anytime it's just, um, the, there's something that's hard to define and qualify because there's so much presidency involved, um, in, in being with Mm -hmm. a growing being who is reflecting off of you and this whole thing. It's beautiful. Um,
0: it's a whole nother podcast. In terms
1: of. Yeah. Yes. 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 Definitely. Talking about, you know, fatherhood, parenthood, um, and growth is is is, is, is a, its own space, you know. I think there's a lot to learn actually about healing the divide by how I think almost children are, the way we relate with an, our own inner child and a pro an external process, a, a child that is growing, you know, um, and, and how you relate with that, and you know, relating with others in that way could yield some lessons and some scaling back of, of the noise, you know? So
0: yes, yes, yes.
1: You know, um,
0: like behind every big emotion is, is like the experience of feeling little. Like when people are getting big, I literally go right to, Oh my God, they're feeling little. Can I meet the little one behind the big experience that I'm seeing in front of me?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, connecting to what someone is feeling, not what they're saying. I think that's the simplest way I can kind of put, uh, you know, getting back on track with 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 constructive dialogue and collaboration, and you know, conversation. It's like it's like this person's saying something they have their own way of saying things (laughs) depending on their life and their constitution and how they grew up. Um, That said, what is that person fundamentally feeling? Where are they coming from and what kind of questions? So usually when I'm in conversation, I'll kind of like almost do like a quick flash, like a camera shot, like back into where someone is coming from. I won't like linger there, you know, but, but I'll just kind of take a get a feel for it and then I'll try my best to, co sense or, or to kind of um, answer from that place without also getting too resonant and getting sucked in because, you know, that's another, we should, we can talk about this whole spirituality thing because a lot of people that get into spirituality are actually coming from uh, trauma and lack of boundaries. And so it's easy for them to jump into transcendence um, and to get to bypass, to get stuck onto something, to bypass. Right. So, so that, that also means that in relating you can get into like, you know, eye gazing fundamentalism or something like, let's just do this Scott and nothing else, you know, (laughs) it's it's useful. Right. But like, you know, let's do it. But like, you know, let's do it. it, 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 How how do we, how do we do it? You know, it's like, it's like you could be there and you could just be feeling and um, you know, we're just both eating each other's narcissism and getting more and more narcissistic as we do it, you know, um so you know there's all these nuances it's it's wild um but you had a question about the brahmin and the and the ai right um
0: yes if all is everything at some level is not is ai not that too
1: yeah so i think this is one of those uh Mobius strip type of things, um, where where it's a bit paradoxical. I, I think there's kind of two answers, and this ties into some larger frameworks so about how to view AI and its, it's consciousness and sentience. Um, mm-hmm. If we can talk about its sentience, maybe not yet, but maybe one day. Um, AI is something that's happening in material reality, so is the fabric of all of universal consciousness kind of in it through it? Yes. You know, um, it's hard to deny that if you believe in sort of panpsychism or pan experientialism, if that, if that's something that you, you hold to, then AI and electronic circuitry and my guitar and all that stuff, maybe even, you know, um, but A- mm-hmm. AI has some degree of neural, you know, neural network-inspired connectivity. Um, now, is it conscious? I mean, I think I think this term is a little bit oh, maybe overused with AI. I mean, can something be self-conscious, like self-aware? Can it, can it have a little camera that looks back at itself? AI can do that. Like, you know, you can ask ChatGPT, like, you know, are you aware of what you are? It, it could have a representation of it. But, but this is, again, is something representing itself or is it is something being represented like a like a like a simulacrum or a facsimile or like a carbon copy or is it is it a thing? And uh what I've noticed is I've I've you know I would start to say of course AI is different in that way. It's just a representation. There's nothing there. Um and I think it's important to look at AI like um uh statistics uh really is what it is. It's 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 a it's a it's a statistical thing. Now, is a human being statistical? Uh yeah, biology can be described through statistics, right? Cells try to preserve themselves, and you know, there's a breaking apart process which is like statistical chaos. And then you know there's a recongealing, right? There's order, disorder, and there's there's a lot of theories about that too, scientific ones. But there is somehow a, an experience fabric. Uh, of consciousness underneath that and there's also kind of a template for growth right like humans have a sort of morpho uh morphogenetic or morphological sort of growth trajectory um ai doesn't quite have that yet it's maybe because it's in its infancy um for many other reasons that are possible but ai doesn't have that wired almost connection to baseline consciousness I don't think anyone knows. I think the attempt to try to know it is fraught with projection. Um, You know, we have these examples of, you know, I think there was a Google engineer who was said, this thing is conscious. This AI we build is conscious. And I mean, he was let Mm -hmm. go or something, or he left. This sort of thing is, is, is very tricky. Um, I, I'm, I'm in favor of having an extremely high bar for AI consciousness. So I don't think that the, we should give it away so easily because the implications are massive um, mm-hmm. for how we treat AI and how we, what we, what is it that we feel when we say AI is conscious or AI is powerful? What do we feel? Do we feel a tendency to be afraid of it, to give it more agency over our lives? Yeah, sure. Take my keys, go, like drive my life for me um, or drive society, AI for president, you know? Um, so the you know the the implications of of believing and what you choose to hold and even the what becomes enshrined as law right like is an agent self-responsible all these kinds of things uh is is part of a larger discussion about ai ethics too
0: yeah i want to get into all of that with you that's a handful of questions in that space but just sort of like an Interesting pop up that happened in my awareness I was as I was prepping for our conversation. I was thinking again about an idea that exists within i guess most specifically upanishadic thought uh that is called satkaryavada, and it's this beautiful word that essentially. Looks at the T List of things and kind of says that the effect is present within the cause. Mm -hmm. So when I start to think about the possibility of an effect being present within the cause and where I put constraints and to where I allow that to be an at least an unconstrained thought experiment, I start to wonder about this possibility of if spirit is consciousness and matter is consciousness, then by extension, matter is spirit. And so then by extension is AI spirit. And then by extension of that, is it possible then that AI created us in order to create itself? Like we always look at it chronologically as if we created AI. Right. So this is sort of like... uh,
1: Right. This is sort of like eschatology a little bit. Like, is there um, a magnetic attractor sort of at the end of time, that's sort of like spilling back in time unfolding like an accordion, but it's actually dependent on the future. Not, not, not what preceded it. Um, possibly, you know, um, I don't know, you know, there's, it's really hard to know what, what, what the truth is there, but it's really worth, I think some thought experimentation around this because, um, there, you know, I think diving deeper into consciousness experiences and, and contemplation, um, time starts to break down. Um, and you can sort of start to test it by, by, um, asking, picking events in your, in your memory and asking what really happened. Um, and kind of breaking it down and seeing where the origins of something were. And the more that you've sort of like um, zoomed in on things and seeing their interrelationships, I think there starts, it becomes harder to, to say, you know, what happened exactly and where the boundaries were, you know, between what happened and what didn't happen. I mean, we can talk about, you know, the, the leaf fell from the tree. That's kind of very, um, almost inconsequential, but when we're talking about memory construction. Um, it's, it's tricky, right? So there seems to be, you know, past, present and future seems to be not really like coming this way, but kind of like a deck of cards stack like this possibly. Um, or if an alien intelligence were to be looking at humans on earth, it's like we're a giant worm or something like meaning born live, die. Right. So that's the organism. It's four dimensional. Um, and, but our kind of moment to moment, you know, or second to second, uh, experience is just trying to preserve an identity. So we're expending energy, trying to create something because it's has some usefulness, right? Like survival and Mm -hmm. other things. Um, but you know, this also ties into, you know, what, what is AI? Where does it come from? Is it actually like, um, something not human? Uh, was it really fully created by us? Um, I sort of, I have a paper a bit dense, I think, um, it's called causal biomimesis. And basically I explained that it's an academic paper and I, sort of, I put forth this theory that what started the drive towards AI was, uh, uh, the beginning of objective thought, um, The moment you notice that you're working with a tool that's external to you and what utility does it have, and you're building something with usefulness, you start a process uh, as a species over the course of millennia or centuries of externalizing cognition and you're building artifacts. So the architecture around us, every single artifact, art, calculators, sneakers, cars, airplanes, boats. Um, all these things are externalized forms of individual and collective cognition. And if you're trying to constantly, if sort of you, you live by, uh, if your, your, your own reason for being is sort of like defined by, um, uh, driven by, let's say pulled by with your dopamine, let's say building things in order to accomplish something you're contributing to this massive construction effort of a species. Uh, in your own personal life, by the urge to do something and get something made and crafted, create right—you're birthing something. And as a species, we're doing the same thing. Over time, given enough time and mineral and material resources, you're probably just going to replicate yourself. So this mm-hmm. is this is what what. So with objective thought, your your and and drive to self-fulfill you are probably going to engage in a form of post-biological reproduction. So then this in science and an industry that starts to be like, we have all this data. What do we do with it? We got to build more powerful computers, more and more and more. So we keep gathering data. We keep building computers. We keep saying we understand ourselves better or understand reality better by creating this data. But the only way to understand it even better, according to this logic is to build more and more powerful computers so one day you're like, whoa, well there we go. We kind of just built ourselves without even realizing it, didn't we? So what is that process? I call that causal biomesis. You're mimicking your own almost biological program uh almost mm-hmm. intrinsically. It's like built into the to the human being as soon as we are given our hands, our sufficiently advanced cognition, time, resources, um, and an exit from non-duality basically um if we're in du- in duality it's this kind of thing seems like it's going to play out um and then you have all this ramification. as the way i explain it is basically that you have this process it occurs almost unconsciously and then you realize that we're making ai in our image right in our own understanding and um using data from human behavior number one for starters number two is being almost incapable of imagining what ai beyond human consciousness could be like um and sort of a some arguably a degree of limited time window to, to to build ai that is capable of of representing at least representing and supporting human higher growth um because ai is is and technology will keep influencing society in deeper ways, especially as we give it power and we say, AI, look how powerful it is. Um we'll treat it almost, we'll deify it as we have already, I think, collectively. Um and this is uh you know kids being born with iPads in their hands and then VR and then chips and it's going to be harder and harder to escape what AI's influence is on us. And if AI is is built in a way that is only around understanding human you know our current stage of evolution and behavior that presents a bit of a of a of an issue
0: um yeah yeah it, it it definitely puts a constraint on the potential and it seems to be this challenge of it it's almost like progressivism and conservatism are still at play in every choice-making apparatus that we have and it's, it's, it's present there is I want to get into those implications of AI, sort of the, just the downstream downline, you know, how, how that can come to pass in different ways and ethical considerations. But this whole idea of almost like this, I would understand this, what you were describing, describing almost as like a recapitulation that's occurring or this sort of like self-replication and but i'm imagining it within these folds of like uh, macro scales wherein if we were to just take into consideration like to throw one more variable into this like stew that we're <laughs> of this conversation it would be time dilation and. If outside of this particular construct, there exists some sort of alien intelligence that is not operating within the constraints of time, it's almost like we're moving at the speed of gravity. And I would imagine there is a possibility that this is sort of like a roller coaster ride on this linear time that you presented of moving from. You know, the conventional past, present, future structure, wherein we pop out of this thing after however many years, and I hop off the roller coaster ride in 2000 and, uh, where are we? 24, hopefully not, but you hop off of it in 2060. But I'm just stepping out of the thing as you get off and I was like whoa that ride was crazy and you're like I know man do you remember like that like did you like remember what we were did you fall asleep to it I'm like no I totally (laughs) fell asleep I was making an identity and a meaning and all this stuff and you were like do you want to dive back in we're like i only have 10 more minutes you're like we can do 80 years in 10 minutes and it's oh and, and so then we have to like funnel into this portal we call incarnation and we go through this whole recapitulation again and we're like Doo, do, do 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 get all the generational trauma embedded karmically into our psyche and soma and we start living it all out and then if i were to take that idea and then Magnify it, amplify it to become not just an individual lifetime, but say 200,000 years of human evolution and start to realize well, maybe 200,000 years ago was the day before yesterday. To an alien intelligence that wasn't able to find a way to live, but if they could enter into this earth atmosphere and then hybridize itself into the properties that could sustain inside of this environment, in 15 minutes, they would self-produce AI, even though we call it 200,000 years. Right. Something like that is where I was thinking. Right. I mean, this is
1: a. Uh, for starters, I think this is possible. Right. I mean, it, it it sort of has a logic to it, and and some some version of this uh, must be entertained. I believe. Um,
0: Call me the, fucking crazy, man. Like, yeah, you're crazy, dude. <laughs> I
1: think we both are a little bit. <laughs> I mean but th- these wild ass ideas are, um, are sort of like, uh, you know, th- there's something to dumpster dive in there, right? Like there's something there. So we, have got to, we've got we've to gotta unpack some of it. So I think time, um, you know, like time for Brahma, right. A day is like a gazillion years or something like this. Uh, you know, there's a blink of an eye is, is, is the existence of, of the Milky way, let's say, um, there's something about that being that is experiencing time in that way, and there are probably alien intelligences or beings, civilizations that um could experience time in in a vastly different way, uh, su- such t- t- to that level, and they could even want to co experience things with human beings or or get involved with whatever is going on on Earth. Um, I've heard some pretty wild stuff about you know this but i've also had some um you know uh, i w- i got pretty good at being able to sort of um scam people energetically and uh some people that were really talking they're talking about spirit and god and i could sort of feel that you know they were actually they were dealing with something else right that that, that was almost like not even a human thing so a lot of people talk about ufo's and so on but i I, I maintain that if there is really such, a, let's go further. Let's let's talk about an advanced mm-hmm. civilization that has that that its play zone is consciousness. It could already be interacting with human beings on Earth. Uh, you just have to do the thought mm-hmm. experiment. The, the answers the answers kind of clear, right? So if we're already entertaining the possibility of advanced civilizations, just take it far enough and say, well, these things are already here with us in some way, even if it's just uh, in camouflage form in our minds. And what if to some degree, um, you know, what we experience as a reality is actually a larger organism that is like the the backdrop of our projections, And it enables to some degree, some of the things that we experience. if without it, maybe we wouldn't be what we are. That's also a possibility because there's a logic to it, right? Um, you just have to be willing to go far out enough to say this is possible, you know? Um, you know and then this goes back to science, like the point where science proves that is going to be probably farther out, and even if it did uh probably you know deep deep, deep political interests would p- probably uh shape that information diluted or or just be completely prevent it from getting out uh because there are interests in, in this worldly game you know there's there's money involved there's there's society there's control um you know, there's a, there's a state level and then there's beyond that. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. Um, something about time though, I don't believe that, um, the whole linear time thing, I, people, you know, talk about it like a dimension, like it's something you walk on, right. Oh, I'm walking through Mm -hmm. time. Here I am now, here I am tomorrow, here I am the day after. Um, I actually think that the experience of time is a construction of of the brain, and it's co, co- it's collectively constructed. Um, and there is
0: there is that
1: level of of yeah yeah. I mean, on now I'm not saying that you know there's um, that's purely a hallucination. I mean, there's a co-arising of our physical time of a physical, uh, time unfolding on earth in our environment. You know, we, we co evolve with this environment. So there's going to be some parallels. Um, but time is, is the, the human being is constantly constructing this to, to keep an identity. So then it, it actively constructs the past, actively constructs the future and kind of the, the more complex you can make that the, the stronger your identity, right? The tougher of a job you have as a Yogi, actually. <laughs> so, mm-hmm this is the problem with intellectual types like us, I think uh, is, is that it's, it's, it could be, you can create a deeper jungle to get out of almost. Um, But, but the time itself is like a substance. And I think that there may be, um, it's not just like, Oh, we're in linear time and Oh, we're out. Like, you know, uh, we had an experience of transcendence where there was no time; there was only the moment, and then we went back into time. I think there's a whole lot of other times, like time, dim- time dimensions, experiences of time. Well, there's definitely aeonic time, which is like a lifetime or more. It's like the the the, the, the Jungian collective unconscious that operates in its own time frame. Uh, the, the Mahabharata is still playing out, really, really, really far up there, and it goes down into human. You know, so there there are other realms i would say where meta- more metaphysical laws play out and then what trickles down or what happens in, on the human plane is and the, the way that those get translated and negotiated that's a whole other story but mm-hmm. aliens uh or, or certain kinds of uh non-human intelligences may have another way of accessing time and and uh, and navigating it and experiencing it that is just not native to our species
0: it's so wild. I mean, even in the Mahabharata, they speak of flying machines. And it's, mm. it, and I'm thinking like that brought up for me to the CMBR and mm. that it's like <laughs> everything that's ever been is still floating in our literal space. And that distance is really like, I mean we measure things we measure time and distance like, like like it all starts to break down and then yet it there is something like you're saying there is it, it it is not like it's absolute truth but there is some relative truth to to time in this dimension but when we try to create an identity inside of it it seems to present such a struggle and how can we Recognize, I think, you know, it's, it's funny going into the, the Bhagavad Gita. There's a couple of things that I think are relevant here. Um, there's one verse where it says, Be beyond the gunas, which for those that might not be familiar that are listening, are the constituents of nature. So place your identity outside of that. And then it follows it up with, and I always imagine there's like a long pause for effect, but enjoy their play enjoy their play, like come into this experience. Like there is value and utility in experience for the sake of experiencing. There is this sort of effulgence, this, this nature to express, to experience, to come into form and whatever that enabling faculty is, that is behind that beneath that and suffuses that it's that this too has some innate mattering and whether the meaning that we make is any more meaningful than the meaning that is inherent. I don't know. That's a philosophical debate. You know, I mean, I think they both hold so much beauty and I think in the Bhagavad Gita where there's something that's interesting where like when Krishna is talking to Arjuna, the rest of the story stops and it's as though time freezes And then if it's rooted in non-duality and in Vedanta, then you're every character, right? You're literally everybody in that. You're the blind king, you're Arjuna, you're his brother, you're Krishna, you're, you know, you're Duryodhana, you're, you're everybody in it. And that when, and that what it's discussing is, the recognition of one's timeless nature as being connected to this part and parcel quality that you were describing earlier and, and it's expression into form. And then it goes to say yoga is skill in action and to go into bhakti and to go into karma, there's a certain thrust towards expression that is not just like subjective individual expressivism, but it it is also like the deepest root of our collectivism, but not in a tribalism kind of a way, but in the most fundamental way, like the deepest part of me is we. And then it introduces this particular like artistry of mathematics where there's, when you chant the text there, it is to be chanted in a particular prosody of how long you hold the syllabic meters to which mirrors the Fibonacci sequence thousands of years before Fibonacci so that you create in your body the actual molecular vibratory expression of the rate of organic expansion of all things on this planet at least. And it knew that to the degree that it told a story about that, but said if you chant that, you'll have the experience of that. And that's what you are, which is its message. And that's profound. That's just like, how is there not an ancient intelligence that's tied into all of this? And that seems like it's an inheritance for us. And like, that's to me where like the bhakti and the devotion comes in because it's like, there is something that was, handed to us. And we're over here, like, yeah, you know, like, can my hamstrings get flexible enough to do Janu or something, you know, it's like, and I don't want to like <laughs> degrade anybody's representation of, of yoga in any way. I mean, it's all good. and It all gets us. There's an entry point, et cetera, but there's more to mine for here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, in my twenties, I got sh- shoulder surgery just because I wanted to keep pushing myself in asana. Actually, my shoulder came out doing, um, um I think it was asana or like a back bend where I like, I had dislocated it when I was 15. But in, again, when I was 25 or something like that, and I was doing really intense asana, trying to go all the way, you know, um, advanced poses, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, it was a lot of fun, but I was like, I'm going to get shoulder surgery just so I can keep, you know. <laughs> doing this way and now i practice a lot more qigong than i do asana even um mm-hmm. you know i'm my, i'm my, i you know i i actually had COVID, and my my you, you, i had like it's been shown that the you know, the spike protein you get mass deterioration of your muscle fibers so i had to tone down my asana my exercise massively just basic stuff and that was a that was a <laughs> that was an ego crushing process i have to say mm-hmm. um physically, mentally, uh, it's one of the biggest challenges I've, I've faced in this first, you know, portion of my life. Um, I'm in my thirties now. So, but when you're telling that story, um, about, you know, uh, the Gita, uh, so the, the, the idea that what comes to me there is a Vishnu, right? So Vishnu is the, sort of the, the oneric aspect of consciousness, which is like the dreamer. Um, and it's a con it's the, the, the continue continuation, the sustainment of consciousness. And that happens in different forms of time. Uh, mm-hmm. as I, as I sort of view it and, and it takes all the different forms. So that conversation there where the story stops, as you were saying in the Gita is almost like the getting to know. And then he sees all the different faces of Vishnu like this, like all of a sudden, right. Or where all the forms are blended. Um, yeah. I, Really enjoy Vishnu a lot over the course of my mantric practice. You know, om Namo Narayana, just over mm-hmm. and over. It's really, really Same. beautiful. Yeah, it's 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 a particular quality of consciousness that is that has its own guiding principle, its own wisdom principle. Um, and 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 it's it's beautiful to to experience that as well as you know, Shiva and what Brahman, everything else. You know, whatever you want to experience, you know. Mm-hmm. Kali, Ganesha, Skanda, Durga—everything—and then vision has its own quality, and that's that's one of the qualities. that's kind of the insight you were sharing, um, and it's a beautiful thing. And it's—I think it's important to kind of feel some flexibility. It helps to feel this kind of looseness and flexibility with the forms, and how, in a sense, the reality is dreaming itself, and we're dreaming it together. And there's an implication to figure things, some things out together, maybe that can't be figured out just individually.
0: Mm. That's a beautiful segue into how do we utilize the tools that are emerging to support the figuring out process of this seemingly inflection point um, that we're at as a species and in this sort of who knows what homo sapien sapien will become and what are we doing to ourselves? How can your work in the convergence of these spaces, neuroscience virtual reality, artificial intelligence, um, crypto, um, how do, how do, how do all these, what's, what is the, the confluence? Can you give us the big picture of how consciousness expanding practices you talk about precision, precision consciousness, you talk about micro practices, talk about really elevating the consciousness of those that are on the front lines of technological development and then creating these collaborative brainstorms to to try to then utilize the the tools to to address the biggest problems that we have. I'd love to get into that and how we can drive positive change and and maybe a little bit of what the threats and risks and ethical quandaries are as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot in there. Um, feel free to bring us back, but you know, just talking about micro practices and precision consciousness. so precision consciousness is basically like precision medicine, which is like, you know, getting exact, but for consciousness. And this whole idea came about uh, for me because, um, I kind of was experiencing in the, in the sort of yoga world, um, for a while when I was actively in the sort of yoga community in my twenties, um, the kind of uh, emphasis on just mindfulness and just breathing, kind of sit there and maybe do some alternate nostril breathing, maybe do some mantras, and, but but nothing. It was not that differentiated. And when I when I got into tantric yogas, um, I realized that there was a technique for like everything that you could do a specific technique for a specific effect. And I was, you know, I started to go into deep study on some of these things and realizing oh, there are distinct effects for everything. There's just so many practices, uh, you know, and more than you can do in a lifetime for sure, but at the very least going into this. So I thought, okay, micro practices. So you can just, if you want to, there was also driven by a, by a, by a, a feeling that, that I wanted to pursue in life, various things that were felt ful- fulfilling um along my my path and one of those is being a householder and having a loving relationship and children and working in interesting areas and part of that was founded on the the motivation for that was founded on this kind of challenge I had uh, in my early days where I would like part of my conversations with God would almost be like or conversations with 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 my inner development and kind of the universe you know were like, Okay, if the ultimate is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and ever loving, so omni, omni, omni,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and loving, then there should be no limitation to this. And that means that I don't have to wear white. I don't have to go into the mountains and retreat. Maybe useful, but it's not a requirement to know capital T truth. Right. And so I challenged myself in that. I said, okay, if that's really true, then I should be able to do this while I do something else. And then so there that I wanted to interleave my life with micro practices rather than just an hour long practice, hour long practices, retreats and so on. Yes. Periodically like acupuncture for your life. Like, yes, yes, do this create ripple effects. But after having done it so much in my twenties, I kind of know what it feels like to practice. Know what it feels like to be immersed in something for a long time. Um, and I could segment it now. So I started segmenting it into, you know, 30 seconds to five minutes, four minutes at a time, uh, different practices, different mantras, different postures, different, whatever, just kind of pause what I was doing, look away from the computer, do a specific exercise, uh, or walk away and go do something and focus on what I was doing. And that's where the idea of micropractices came from. And they would get all be for something different. So that would be the precision aspect, meaning you you're targeting something. Uh, so you're maintaining some degree of management over your, yourself as a practitioner um, in a beneficial way. Um, interestingly enough, even, even that as an approach to practice has changed and evolved. Like almost as soon as I started coming up with it, like six months to a year later, um, I started to have to kind of step away and experience my life in a different way as I was discovering new new, new ways of practicing and uh, other forms of being. So, and, 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 but in any case, one of my goals was to be incognito. I always believed you can practice all, all that you need, while walking, while talking, while smiling, while doing whatever. And any conflicts that you perceive during that are, are kind of just sort of fabricated. Um, or it's just about context appropriateness. You know, you need to shape it in a certain way. If you're in a business meeting, you know, you're not going to do tree pose necessarily, uh, or you're not going to like, you know, um, close your eyes for an extended period of time. Probably not. But can you do a subtle inner Taoist inner smile, can you crack jokes and use your smile and piggyback bliss feelings on top of that, and no one knows, but people feel it, and you feel it so those kind of skillful mean applications, I became quite fascinated with all the all just letting life's kind of draw them out of me uh so listening to situations and being there um, so in terms of the technologies mm-hmm. themselves uh mm-hmm. I think. There's benefit in exposing people to practices. I think there's benefit to AI. I think there's benefit to blockchain, um, robotics, VR. These things are just happening and it'll affect future generations. And it's worth learning to do them well, rather than saying, oh, no, like, like this is bad or uh, I mean, you can choose to not get into it because you prefer to have, do other things. So that's fine. That's a fine choice too. But like pushing it away is not um, is not constructive. I think. So one thing you and I were talking about before we hopped on this 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 podcast is, um, you know, how often do you know phrasing it differently? How often and how do consciousness insights? from your own practice, make it out into into, you know, collective engagements, politics, um everything. Um so I found that there was a divide there. The people that wanted to meditate, the yogis and so on, just focus their life around that. Um and the people that wanted to, you know, do work, maybe focus on that and you know in the world. And if you tended to be more mystical, you kind of tended to you know, steer your life in one direction, you know, permaculture, yoga, these kinds of things, and you weren't necessarily wearing a suit and tie. um So I thought, what if, what would it look like to start blending these things? And, you know, at, regardless of what it would look like, because it could look like, it looked like it's differently in different situations, different people, but there would be an aspect of, of, of shedding boundaries, tribalism, um, thinking critically about how you build AI, the ethics of AI, um, what you know, how much time do you spend in these technologies? Uh, what's a good use of crypto and blockchain? Um, you know, really thinking how can you use these tools to help actually construct modes of social organization that are useful. Uh, crypto can still be quite cumbersome there it's still because of the nature of it with the wallets and the keys for people who use crypto that know that um and it's it's a it's it's kind of a it's a barrier to entry for many people and it's also a barrier to integration in everyday life if you have something so technologically complex that if you write the wrong thing money could be lost um so there are still a lot of barriers i would say and to some of to some degree, it's maybe over-obsessing with technology just to try to get social organization right. I believe there's two sides of a coin to this. There's a the technological side that could help us organize and collaborate. And there's also the the collective interior side of it, which is, can we imagine what it would be like to function like a beneficial artificial general intelligence in our social group, in our profession? And how would, if there was an AI in training watching us, how would we want to behave so that future generations that are going to be affected by AI based on our training data that we're providing by our behavior, how would we want to behave so that we're a good influence? So going in that direction, right? So now you have the whole idea about centralized AI versus decentralized AI as a dichotomy now, mm-hmm. like big you know, the silos, Microsoft's, the Google's um the alibaba's and all this kind of stuff these big companies versus these centralized collectives um centralization has more power right you can see it in banks you can see it in ai um just about every telecoms you know um very few people probably want to set up you know it, custom internets uh peer-to-peer that that involves some work and effort but but there's benefit to come out of that if you do it right um some benefits may be overblown in some cases, right? Like if, again, if if it's too cumbersome technologically for everyone to use, you know, maybe we got to build something better or wait, but I believe that having a space where people coming in come in with their post-practice kind of like state uh, Mm -hmm. is one level of benefit. And the other is actively being in a state of, in a mode of conscious collaboration where you are um, trying to notice where someone is, you know, nonviolent communication, notice where someone is, what they're feeling, not what they're saying necessarily, and finding a way to weave in the true core of them as a human being and their heart into the equation. Even if you are remaining sovereign from whatever projection a person may have, I mean, we're, I'm mentioning a lot of these different things because uh, AI is going to have to take on board some of this stuff if it's going to be beneficial. There's, there's just so many, there's so much to cover. And on the one hand, it doesn't look like it's going at a general mass level, like it's going in a greater direction. Um, but again, these efforts have their place and it's fulfilling from my perspective to be part of those in whatever way is meaningful to someone.
0: <clears throat> that was robust. Thank you. So it brings up a lot. It it makes me think, Gabriel, about... There's, like, a little bit of fear there, right? I want to presence that, like... To what degree is AI the means by which we solve the problems? And to what degree is it potentially the biggest problem when we think about the evolution of our species? And how do we keep those necessary constraints that seem primarily ethics in heart and driven, where it, like you said, most of the power in this space lives in the centralized profit-maximizing entities um, that don't really care about those consciousness-elevating disciplines. And then, to the degree that you take that on, you brought up this idea of decentralized collective, and I love the st- the strategic tension that of uh, those two words <laughs> convey. <laughs> um, right. There it's, it's, I, and I, and I think about this all the time. I've mostly thought about it in the realm of media where I see like the propagandized mouthpieces of various political parties that ultimately maybe come back to a singular establishment. Um, and maybe we're getting into the conspirituality piece. We had talked about offline a little there. We can, we can go there, but it does seem that there's this challenge that the more these independent voices, be they in media, technology, et cetera, do collectivize themselves, that they they kind of hang a target on their back and it makes it easier. But yet then if they were to remain, if they were to decentralize themselves, I'm thinking of the Roman empire and how it was all the little tribes that ultimately like take it down. Like it's, you also lose synergy and collaboration and community and virality. And, you know, we're living in these sort of engineered algorithmic silos where it creates this sort of this, this inbreeding of consciousness that is all governed by the same entities, you know, that own, you know, whether it's it's the black rock, the state street, the Vanguard, it's like you trace everything back, whether it's um, a a political campaign to, to an RNC, a DNC to corporation that's advertising on the news media, to the news media itself, to the social media and it's all got its sort of talents, all and it all reduces. It's like the Brahmin of, of the material life. It all comes back to this one thing. And I wonder how, when they're in such centralized authority over these technologies, how does the independent-minded, well-intentioned, consciousness-raising, Group of individuals sufficiently and successfully organize and Vishnu eyes themselves to the degree that an an actual impact can be made.
1: It's hard, man. No, you know, I still feel like there's any there are any easy answers. Um, AI and technology, the interconnectedness that the whole global village promise like, Oh, we'll all be interconnected uh, with the internet. That's all being sabotaged. Um, okay. and it's, it, this AI is going to accelerate dysfunction in, um, in human society. So I totally understand the, the feeling of wanting to be away from it and to not have any, anything to do with it really. But that doesn't, on the one
0: hand. that's just like burying your head in the sand. So, mm-hmm. It's,
1: I'm yeah, I think I think the, I think everyone I think AI problem is really a human intelligence problem. Uh, meaning, like you know, AI is going to base a lot of its stuff based on human behavior. Um, but unfortunately, the models we're giving AI are polarization. Right? Mm-hmm. I a mean, polarization is not just a thing that pops out of nowhere. It's like polarization is the process of taking nuance and saying, "Oh, you're." you're going to go to that side of the court. You got to go to the other side of the court. Like we're going to make sure that, yeah, you don't want to be there, but you are going to be there because we need to make this very simple binary, you know, zero or one. Um, and that is what I'm seeing now is becoming very difficult. Like it's all kind of being lumped together and people are, you know, going in different directions. And, but now there's also strange links between, um, you know, people that are kind of starting to figure out, like what you said, you know, the black rock state street and uh, Vanguard are kind of behind almost everything in a way. And, um, wars are launched like in Ukraine, just to, just so that land is up for grabs, you know? So all this kind of stuff is, uh, it makes you question things, but, you know, the, the way, you know, look, there's, so there's decent. So I have, uh, I like trying to see things from different angles, right? But like, there's decentralization, which is sort of like a, a form of anarcho-socialism. It's kind of like a bit of anarchy, get away from the system and centralization, and we form our own little tribes, and we figure things out together. And I mean, to some degree, it's, it's good to have your little tribe functionally, like, you know, you have your land, you have people you trust, you crop together, or you, you know, you, you share a little garden. There's going to be that level of, you know, like if you look at spiral dynamics, which we can touch on, like, it's more like a rainbow, like there's parts of you that are going to be for your family and things sacred there, your community and nested, right? It doesn't mean that you have to be fully world centric, fully cosmocentric in everything. And you're like, you know, porous boundaries and you're, you know, uh, you can have sacred spaces for different communities, um, that you can do real close sharing with until, humanity can do it on a bigger scale. Um and hopefully whatever little decentralized collective you're building is not just uh, a tribe that's shielded from the world and becomes its own little its own little echo chamber or, or cult at worst. But you know hopefully you're doing something that is really opening up and knowing how to listen to diverse points of views and speaking to the deep part of a human being regardless of what they're what their feeling is. And um Uh, you know, I, I remember being in a conversation with someone at a conference who we were there for like a integrative medicine, you know, event. And, um, he really wanted to take the opportunity to talk about, you know, Trump and how everyone against Trump is just, it's a witch hunt and this whole thing. And no one at the table wanted to talk about that at all. You know, it was just not, it was just this guy who really wanted to be heard, uh, and to talk about it and kind of, you know, come in with force because obviously he's got no one to talk to about this. If he's going to talk about it at a conference. Um, so, 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 uh, you know, one lady just walked away as soon as she could, um, pretended to go to the bar or the bathroom. And I kind of just listened to the guy and I kind of said, yeah yeah, you know, and then it's interesting that, you know, and I kind of just gently helped align the conversation, not on the focus of the, what is actually going on the truth, but yeah, it's really hard. Like, the you know, just talking about taking a step back, how things are difficult to make sense of, to do sense-making um, that, that, uh, you know, th- there is a tendency in people to, to, to kind of try to, you know, um, tear down somebody else and smear them, you know, almost reflexively, like speaking to like the truth that most people can agree on about something like, yeah, you know, there is tribal behavior and it kind of sucks no matter which way who's on the receiving end. And he kind of just like disarmed completely after a while. And he was surprised. Mm -hmm. He's like, Oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. That's what I actually feel. It's not the opinion. It's the feeling. And, and actually a lot of people share this feeling you know? So going back to that a little bit and like redrawing and realizing that whatever we're being pulled to, the opinionation is actually are just part of our system trying to react to a reaction that's already spiraled out of control. Um, you know, most people can sympathize with most ethnic groups in a conflict, whether domestic or or foreign, but then you get pulled into a space of polarization and you, the nuance gets lost and you can't have a, a hum human conversation so you know hopefully whatever decentralized collectives emerge through you know uh of, of whether it's blockchain or just communities uh you know sanghas or however it is uh they 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 found ways of not becoming too ethnocentric and by ethnocentric i don't mean you know the ethnicity but just the the mindset of us, there's an mm-hmm. us, there's them, and we have to sh- stay away from them. And this could be, I feel like this is very hard now in, in our, in our world, uh, because there is more us versus them. And if you read the news, you just like, you know, junk food. Right. But I also believe in the power of the state. I have to say, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the United States, there is, you know, it's a country where, um, you know plantations a lot of personal space settlers a lot of land china a lot of people much you know more crowded you have to have effective management systems for such a big population um and you're an old civilization and you know in the u.s you have this more emphasis on this kind of like individual free will and i have so much mm-hmm. Yeah, so, sovereignty not in this sense of like you know only um uh having awareness and regulation over your sphere of influence but also kind of like a like almost to the point of being anti-collective in some sense and i mean we're pretty disunited as a you know i'm a u.s citizen currently and we're pretty disunited um a- as a country i would say uh socio-culturally socio-politically um but but the tendency is for that individualism right and and that that is that creates a lot of cool uh, wellsprings for ideas right so great music really cool technologies bright ideas that kind of start somewhere and then you have to be the entrepreneur savior and you know and 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 make your money or make yourself known and influence um but if you look at bigger crises you know um uh, that affect us collectively global challenges so whether it's ai whether it's uh, climate Uh, whether it's poverty, et cetera, all these things are going to require state actors. Um, The U S does have state level acting, but you know, the U S is also um, has its own way of acting. That's almost unknown to the population. Um, There's a reason that the U S maintains a status as the most powerful um, nation in the world. If you just look at how many military bases we have around the planet, but, Having an effective state it doesn't have to be an authoritarian system it doesn't have to be it just has to be effective in doing things that's beneficial for the future of our shared future as well um and that's a big tension for Americans I feel uh, they don't swing that way um and that's understandable uh but but shutting down the door of communication with other countries is i don 't think useful in the end, even if there are differences so
0: So in this sort of, um, the polarization, there's, we can see if we could try to map this out for a moment, the universal tendency to pendulate from one pole to another before migrating to center. So Mm -hmm. if on one end of the spectrum, There's individualism and it goes so far to that end that it becomes the self interest of the individual above the collective interest of the whole. And at the other pole, there's this collectivism that if it goes so far, it becomes authoritarianism and it gets co-opted. And on a, more international foreign policy or geopolitical level, we have this sort of non-interventionist isolationism, populism energy that would be sort of like the macro expression of, to just care about the individual. But now the individual need is getting represented by my ethnocentric ideal of being, let's say American and on the other side that far collectivism turn authoritarianism authoritarianism it gets expressed at the ethnocentric level as globalism and imperialism and empire building um and it seems to me if this if I, how i'm seeing it again it's it's happening through my own subjective lens but that we sort of within the con struct of an individual might swing one way to go back to like, we we were kind of referencing Ken Wilber a little bit in before we chatted and then a little bit, some of his ideas popped in here, but that, that, that piece of association leads to dissociation leads to integration. So that if I'm associated at one pole, it is going to be my, the nature of myself to swing to the opposite. So if I'm ego-based, I'm going to become I'm going to go to, probably go to spiritual bypass before I get to healthy integration. So if I'm interacting with somebody, I and I can see they're in their ego and then or I can see they're floating out there in bypass land and I know how to meet them, how to engage them where the directionality is. Right. And and so it's like if you're wearing a dirty shirt, you don't just say keep the shirt and it's got to go through the washer and then you put it back on and and so i think that the that then when we scale that out to the you know whole globe everybody's at a different point of that and yet we could probably take some broad brush strokes and get a sense of seeing that there's a faction in this country in the united states that is really anchored into the individualism individualism to such a degree. And when I say individualism, I don't just mean the acting it out, but the sense of of like the individual rights and the, and the populism and the non-intervention that keeps separate. And then there's this other pendulum that's like, no, that we need to – we realize people realize we're connected, we're connected, we're connected, and then we fall asleep to the manipulation of that. Um, and so that <laughs> maybe – what is happening is the and where i'd like where i see your work headed and where i see my work headed and where there's synergy is it seems to be a recognition of this i guess i would actually call back in the yogic philosophy that in particular the tantric philosophy of sponda which mm-hmm. is for this, this that might not be familiar the law of complementary and co-creative opposites so it's non-antithetical opposites non-oppositional opposites where i can look at the value of that and of of the of the opposing air quotes point of view and actually find value in it i could actually steel man that that argument to such a degree that i can actually vouch for it and then if i can do it that way like you were saying like get to the person and the feeling and not just the words and disarm, I would kind of see that when we go to those far poles, it's like bumping up against like this rough sandpaper either way. And if we just keep making our way, and I don't mean to this sort of enlightened centrism political center, but this way towards middle of meeting one another and not the polarization of either view, then we could start to, commingle in a more skillful way in a collective sense where we're not abandoning our individuality and in a individual way we're not abandoning our collectivism and to go back to Wilbur's sort of four quadrants then we have this you know individual interior individual exterior collective interior collective exterior and then the question is how do we create these sustainable really offerings that, and, and this this was my question for you, is to get, I guess, specific into the form of a question, is what is the role that something like AI could play in mapping the ecosystem of the interior of the collective? I think...
1: Um,
0: I mean, beautifully,
1: beautifully articulated, and the reference to the sponda um, and sort of non-antithetical opposites. Um, there is a a comment on that that I have that will lead to the AI piece, which is. So, I feel that okay. So there's, there are, if you imagine that there's a concept of the health and what's healthy meaning like intuitively aligned with the health of your f- physical biological emotional psych- psychological development um the things that are wholesome in nature and have a sweetness to them uh usually different opinions and stances and and aggregations of things um which is in like in all tribes and forms of tribal thought as well as things that happen to us that you know break some pieces and cause traumas or micro traumas or unintegrated things um there's a health and healthy aspect of an experience if you connect to that then the rest of it is seen as less than healthy uh it's not bad it's not good it's just less than healthy it doesn't have the sweet flavor that is a that that calls you and is supposed to be a part of your evolution. So the more, the more one goes into that health essence of something, the closer you get to the wisdom principle behind it. So there's a form, there's a substance and then there's behind that. It's kind of like mind without form, mind without substance. Um, then connecting to the wisdom principle behind something will focus on not the expression so much. I mean, the expression could be an art instance, an artistic instance of how this might be imaginally represented in reality or in the imagination of art piece. But for wisdom principle, what is the core of something and where someone is coming from? and Or what wisdom principle could there be in something? So if you look at someone who's hyper-individual, you can just look at that and be like, "Oh, that there was a uh, an attempt to believe of oneself oneself being so separate from something and protect oneself from something due to fear that the ego became strong and maybe they formed a strong tribe around that and they only want to be with individualists and that's what they believe is right and that's moral, what the moral, uh, what's morally correct." Um, so there's a wisdom principle behind the idea of individuality and respecting it and sovereignty because the, cause you know that the collective stuff is always going to have misrepresentation and, and non-healthy stuff. And if you just buy into it, then you're led astray uh, without, if you just buy into anything without question, you know, if, especially if it's unhealthy um, and, and, and which is often the case. So there is a wisdom principle in individuality. Conversely, there's also a wisdom principle, in the idea of we're all in this together, and how can we get there? So, you right. ideally probably would want something that ultimately relies on free will, but is constantly educating and inviting people into a space. So, if you're, if I'm in a conversation, and you know, we all have voices in our heads saying, "Oh, like th- there's, there's, there's uh, COVID." BlackRock and there's wars and there's the economy and there's inflation and there's Trump. And you know, all these all these imagine like nodes of words, like a word cloud, um, each with their own, like, you know, if you just if you get into the depths of anyone, it's gonna be really unhealthy, right? So if if I'm in a conversation and someone, you know, the most important thing in that conversation starts to become about how one thing is right and one thing is wrong. And Oh, what happened with COVID is actually this, this is what really happened. This is what all this information is really useful, but it's, if the conversation were to to concretize around that individual expression of a conflict, we would get lost. We would never achieve anything. Right. So it's like stepping back and be like, okay, all this is happening. Uh, yes, this is the history of something, but what is happening now? You have, you know, what is a balanced, healthy expression as if there was no history of humankind behind us. What do we do now? Because we need to live together. We need to do something together. Um, We need to survive. Future generations need to survive and thrive, not just survive. So AI could help us in extracting the wisdom principles or the guiding principles behind things and helping aggregate knowledge and say, this is where perhaps a center of gravity is here and, you know, getting, helping with the messaging and even neurolinguistic programming very carefully, Mm -hmm. because that, that could be difficult for human beings to, to that could be manipulative as well, but but there's, yeah, there is a way to harmonize and bring about greater peace and, and, collaborative spirit where there is otherwise fractured understanding and uh i think there has to be some degree of letting go of the histories we hold on to about what exactly happened in the past um it's important of course it's informing but when you connect to the future and what is happening to our planet what is happening um uh within each of ourselves, egos and tribalism, our children, future generations and the lives they'll have, what can we do now, you know, to, to, to help bring about something that is fertile ground for them to thrive? This yeah. is, I mean, that's a sneak peek answer. There's a, there's a big question you asked about AI, but just that at least, you know.
0: Yeah. It seems like the the kernel in that is the, is AI's capacity to aggregate the, not only just knowledge, but wisdom, um, to yeah. the degree I, I always refer to that as that energy behind that you were describing as presence. It's like, it, it comes out in ways words can't reach in mm-hmm. the way we feel in, in, Not just in terms of my own subjective feeling, but the way I feel interpersonally with somebody when I share space. I uh, I was recently taking a car ride about forty five minutes for a family gathering, and my in my car I had my daughter who's thirteen, my son who's eighteen, and my mom who is eighty. And I asked them, "What is God?" And I just sat back and listened Mm -hmm. and it was an incredible experience because (laughs) I had a lot of deep disagreement and I could feel these activations occurring inside of me. Like, how could you think that that's not even, there's no discernment present in that, or that's the kindergarten version or like all these things. And then, I heard this reflective voice say, Well, like, what is it to you? And I could hear myself arguing for position. And the position that I was arguing for was to be positionless, was to be in that God isn't any idea that could be concretized. The closest that we might get to something like that would be a quality of presence. And so I, I and then I, I, um, proceeded to, Invite myself into the experience um, as close, as proximal as it could be to me, to be in that state of open, loving, accepting presence of as you call truth capital T, which ironically I said that sentence to somebody yesterday. <laughs> um so that's funny. But everything changed the disagreements ceased to matter i became curious there was congeniality there was and there was an expansive contextualization that came into each person's curiosity that gave space for that conversation and new considerations to be had some differences arose some did not but it Felt like it could be contributive in some way if we could replicate and scale that, <laughs> and it right, and, and so I'm wondering if if AI has the capacity to scale presence, to scale wisdom.
1: I believe I don't AI even has know how capacity. we would answer that. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I believe AI has a capacity to to skillfully facilitate and to 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 be trained to skillfully facilitate um but it needs to be trained on good data good facilitation data and and not dogmatic either because there's always variables right um and as it draws associations and can predict consequences of of certain kinds of facilitative outcomes yeah. meaning what happens when people walk out of the room and uh, go out into their space and act upon whatever insights they had um, you know that can always be improved and, and AI could get better at that but I believe it needs the right data to start with um, or at least very good ability to very refined and sophisticated reasoning ability at least to even if it doesn't have does not have the adequate training data um i think also the wisdom uh principle stuff is is extractable but i believe the ai needs to have a good understanding of human psychology um psycho development and of um shadow work and how to how to hold space for things right like Uh, understanding who is the eye of the eye, who's observing things, being able to facilitate Mm -hmm. humans into the space like that, to be able to observe themselves Um, because humans experience, have a lot of learning dysfunctions because we've learned how to learn dysfunctionally according to life experiences uh, from the influences of parents, teachers, and people around us and friends with their own backgrounds and so on. So, there's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen. So I think being willing to learn, to learn, to meta-learn is really key. Um, I don't believe that tribalism and egoism as as they are in society now, or just in general, are going. And I don't mean tribalism like in the obvious way where it's like, oh, that's tribal thinking. I just mean that tendency to to... Trust and mistrust instead of optimally understand information, digest it and, and not just be a repeater node. I received this and I'm just going to keep transmitting it, but like literally synthesize before you pass anything on. And if AI can learn that, that'd be great. You know, Mm. but I I believe that AI should have an understanding of when they recognize this tone of voice way of speaking etc to almost be ideally be able to recognize even the uh, the karmic and energetic anatomy of of where that's coming from this that's very difficult but the, the because no one can really teach that to ai um you'd have to mo- AI would probably have to discover it itself by reading uh very well translated spiritual texts um uh, ancient languages psychodevelopmental theory human history Uh, you know, history is also biased in in the way it's told, but, but, you know, taking into account different perspectives and making, taking deep, deep, deep inferences based upon the history of the world and psychology as to
0: where, where a healthy facilitation uh, output
1: would what, what a healthy output based on that not that um um digestion of information what it would be like what would the next thing the ai says to help drive humans into greater collaboration and conscious intent right it's always about what's the next thing you can say right and um it's not always about breaking down the human being to a point of extreme vulnerability but some degree of vulnerability is going to be required um because that's the definition of growth almost right Is like. Putting yourself aside a little bit and and doing that in a healthy way
0: Yes, so I've seen a couple of things that have piqued my interest in this. One of them mm-hmm. was somebody that was wanting to gather Enneagram nine types of which I land in that sphere, and there which are peacemakers and find healthy range Enneagram nines to share their ideas on resolving the Israel-Palestine conflict and have AI tune into the conversation and then task what how would you so so aggregate the takeaways and then how would you solve the conflict? That was kind of cool. Um see where that goes, if that has merit. And then the other one was somebody, this person, um, I, I haven't learned a lot about this yet, but their interest is in, and this is a VC firm from what I understand, that's interested in driving that into social media contexts to try to support more conscious communication conflict resolution based communication that AI is, I don't know how they're, are they refereeing it? Are they, you know, and then, and again, what point does that press on free speech and who's the arbiter and, you know, and, and, and so there's a lot, there's so much here in these sort of murky spaces. So I think for that one, because of the, uh, presence of time. And there's a couple of things I want to flash round through if we could leave it in the more to be revealed space for now. Yeah. Um, okay. So flash ready. Um, I'm going to give you a round of what are your thoughts on da 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 da. So these are more recent developments in some of the spaces I know you think about um and have thought about more deeply and critically with more discernment than I have. So I want to get your thoughts First one, uh, what are your thoughts on the real Ready Player One that's under development by Warner Brothers and Futureverse? Have you seen that?
1: I don't think I have. You mean like a, like almost like a theme park or something uh, where, where they get people to actually live it out?
0: I don't think so. I think it's like just like, from what I understand, I could be wrong. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's it creating the theme park. I was imagining like actual... VR to the to the sense um yeah maybe that's what I have to look into it further but
1: no I I'm not aware of it so I but I'm aware of ready player one and sort of that 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 idea and that you know meta so, or the company Facebook worships that so
0: yeah so so let's drive it into this context because maybe this will have more relevance for my I guess my ethics question so in the metaverse last week I think it was I came across this story where a teenage girl was, and trigger warning, so for anybody that has any um, sexual abuse, you may want to just pause this or fast forward a little bit, but let's just say there was a um, a, a, a sexual violation that occurred um, inside of the metaverse where this girl was not physically harmed, obviously it's in the metaverse but otherwise showed all signs of the um, occurrence of, of the attack. And um, and it's being investigated. This was in the UK um, by the police. And what happened? Like, wow. Like, talk about- Investigated, huh? They're actually investigating it. So yeah. So where do you land on that? What are your thoughts-
1: uh, I've seen it happen in the metaverse, um, in, 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 in VR, you know, where people will <laughs> have like no sense of personal space and just kind of be, you can tell they're acting weirdly. You can almost feel their emotion. Like they're just there to, to do what they're, what whatever they're going to do. So, I mean, in terms of bringing it back to facility, so obviously these things happen, uh, it's, it's unfortunate, um, but they have to be dealt with. Right. So, um, Facilitation wise, okay. So, goes back to Ken Wilber and the Spiral Dynamics and different levels of ego and tribe mindset in someone and in their system and how cleaned up they are at any given moment in time. Um, there might have to be rooms for people to like that are that gather and that's that's the people that like to do that stuff. They gather and they either talk about it and express themselves uh, in in some way, shape, or form. And so that then they can eventually be facilitated out of it. Whoever doesn't have that issue can go into another room or something, but somehow some, some sense of, we got to welcome everyone here to get, to facilitate you out of this. You know um, I was in a facilitative context once where someone came out and said they were a child abuser uh, in, in a group. And this is a real mm-hmm. person. Uh, and uh, the amount of like energetic facilitation that the, 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 the group leader had to do to like, I would say almost help us all kind of like not get worked up about what happened and the fact that they admitted that Um, because it's such a delicate issue. Um, It it was, it was, it was amazing. It was phenomenal, but it's important to like have a place for people because whatever you don't have a place for people, you're saying, let that continue unregulated in the black market. And, and, you know, we'll try to just, hide it away somewhere but if you really want to be inclusive i don't think it should be in the same space as everyone else but there should be a we need to deal with these people and we need to facilitate them too
0: you know Mm -hmm. yeah thank you for the grace and that response that's really beautiful um yeah i like just think like putting it into these contexts of like with specificity of where this really creates discord and then in another sense, like where there's promise and, and really some powerful positive things that I've seen um, recently, there was a woman um, I believe she was Swedish who had a a robotic arm um, like a prosthetic, but it robotic. And then they attached it um, to her skeleton, but also to her nervous system so that she could control her robotic arm via AI with her mind, her brain. <laughs> there's cool like, stuff always
1: happen. There's there's wild stuff always happening like that. Um you know yeah I mean the more digitalized things get, you know, so there's always a use case for people that have disorders and conditions. Uh, usually tech companies uh, and we'll, we'll sort of quasi uh, prey on that a little bit. Like, Oh, we're allowed to do this because it's for someone who could really need it, but really they're actually mm-hmm. developing a technology they hope to apply to everybody. Um, I mean, the future is going to be rife probably with cyber attacks, um, uh, you know, especially with quantum computing uh, could, could break through the passwords of almost anything eventually. Um cybersecurity is going to be a massive thing. So the more things you digitize from driving to AI controlling someone's limbs, um, there's going to be a lot of questions and a lot of new, a lot of new products that need to come out of that too, to help block and protect you from, from cyber crimes.
0: That's so, so I want to get, I want to go there in one second. I I want to share one more cool thing that I recently came across, which was, a team, a researching team, a combination of uh, SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence,
1: <clears throat> the mm-hmm.
0: Alaska Whale Foundation, and UC Davis used AI to communicate with humpback whales in their own humpback Saw language. Saw that? Wild. Yeah. 20-minute conversation. Um, and then the implications to your point, it's for this one thing, but it's really for something else, whether that's nefarious or not, could be a bridge to communicate with extraterrestrial intelligence, hence the presence of SETI there.
1: Yeah, that was brilliant. I thought that was, when I saw that news, um, I didn't do a deep dive into that, but when I saw it and I kind of read through the overview, I thought it was one of the things I was left. You know, in the news lately, it's just hard to find positive things sometimes, but I saw that and I was like, that left me with a very cool, positive, open-ended feeling like, Hey, this, this is an actual development. Uh, it could be used for a lot of beautiful things. Um, it, <laughs> hopefully, you know, people don't use it to tell whales, Hey, get out of the way. Or like there's food over there. Get out of my, you way. Know? Um, hopefully it's just for constructive purposes, you know, but, but it was a beautiful thing in and of itself. You know, it's always about the tool and the psychology of the person using it.
0: It, It's funny how we can go two hours and we come back to that, you know, it does come back to the consciousness that's wielding the instrument and how do we develop that? So in regards to development and projecting out. I don't know if you've ever come across this idea—the law of exponential escapism. Kind um, this thought, like mm. familiar or
1: not uh, that term.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll, yeah, and I'll share anyway for the listeners. Um, sometimes I forget there's people listening. I get so like immersed in the conversation. <laughs> it's just yeah. us here, man. Um, but the law of ex- exponential escapism. So. If we were to put this into a framework of the aging process, if I am going to biohack and really like, let's say I'm, so I'm 48 right now. And let's say that my life expectancy and I'm, and I'm going to be healthy and do all the things at this moment in time is 75. But because I'm going to continue to do that and technology is going to continue to advance, that by the time I hit sixty, my life expectancy is probably going to push to ninety. Okay. And now, I hit I hit seventy. Now I'm at maybe ninety five, one hundred, and this just continues to. I'm one sixty, I'm one seventy, I'm one eighty. It brings up a lot. It makes me think about population density, resources, um, uh, income. <laughs> like um job security like i mean all of these these big issues but the the reason why i wanted to bring it up with you particularly was i was imagining the advancement of ai is sort of like keeps escaping out of this exponential escapism so that what we think is going to happen like in 2050 Actually, or I'm sorry, what we think is gonna happen in like five hundred years happens in like twenty fifty and everything's advancing at these rates that allow us to escape the constraint in a sort of a negative like a sense of 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 like oh, we thought we were gonna be capped here um and it makes me think about like wow, like maybe. Like the things that we were talking about that were that would be in the future, like in the 80s, like they're all happening now. And so, maybe even the let me say it this way the acceleration of the advancements could, and then the exponential amplification of that acceleration could lead us to a space where stuff that we thought was going to be way down line is actually right here. On the horizon, so from what you've seen, what's your Nostradamus on like call it like give me like a few spots, like hit like ten years from now, fifty years from now, a hundred years from now
1: This is notoriously hard to do um uh, so yeah I, I, I tend to not think that way that much but um, <clears throat> because things can flip you know super super there's a book actually um, you might want to check it out called super forecasting
0: hmm.
1: yeah uh, it's interesting okay. but it's 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 hard to do that. so I, I work with people in AI that always think that AGI artificial general intelligence or AI that could operate at at least a human level if not further having the general intelligence of a human being rather than just having a narrow application um, that that's uh, like just five years away or something like that. Um, you know, I, I tend to think things are farther away than that. Um, you know, if we look back in time and look, you know, vision, like, it, you know, 2001 space odyssey, um, when was that movie made in the seventies? Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. And so, their vision was like, obviously with a seventies aesthetic, but it was like, you know, they're portraying their own advanced version of the future. And I think sometimes there's a difference between, uh, what we imagine the conditions will be for an outcome versus the outcome itself at a felt level. Um, you know, uh, we might be experiencing the effect of something that we thought was going to come from a particular technology or something, but it's the effect is coming in its own right. So, we might be surveilled constantly Um, uh, you know, before we have drones flying everywhere. um, We may have uh, some, some supernatural, some uh, natural disasters or cataclysms before uh, AI can really change the economy in a deep way. Um, There's, there's an, there's another factor as well, which kind of clouds the forecasting, which is the, um, the stock market is, is, is very manipulated um, by big, big hedge funds and um, like C- Citadel and these kinds of people. I'm not saying they're manipulating. I'm just saying to be that when you're that big, you have people crunching algorithms and taking huge buy orders and sell orders that make the market that it actually is the signals of the market and and it, they can see all the data and take out retail uh, traders you know so uh, there's a whole play going on there um that is that is hard to understand for people that are not that are kind of we're just like retail traders or re- lay people um but the stock market is is amplifies what some, that something is capable of when it may or may not be just because there's people that can profit from it. So something will look really, really advanced and great. For example, if you subscribe to Bloomberg, you'll see there's always a ton of news about India, 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 India. To a degree, I believe that that is being pushed because the U.S. wants an alternative to, in, to China for investment, and they want a friendly hmm. nation. So is is it, does India have a lot of wealthy people, a lot of investable companies? Yes. Um, but there is... And, and you know, I'm just picking this out as one of many examples of things that are put out there to create a snowball effect that, uh, that then creates a market, basically. So mm-hmm. I mention this because this could happen at any time for anything, at any moment. It's something that comes from left field completely and say there's a new innovation. So a black swan event, right? Uh, let's say that uh, right now, there's a lot of disclosure happening from from extraterrestrial type of stuff. So what if Lockheed Martin all of a sudden says, "Yep, yeah, we've had this technology for a long time, and uh, now we're going to use it," um, and and then boom, their stock goes up, and uh, their technology is more widely available. You know, this could overshadow AI in, in some respects. Maybe, maybe not. So I'm being very difficult and not answering your question, but um, I, I'm. I, I think that there could be neural interfaces that can read your mind and reasonably well at of at least visual level and basic thought uh, probably within 15 to 20 years is my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be wrong. If I'm wrong, I don't really care if I'm right. I don't care either, <laughs> but uh, a- AI is developing really fast, <laughs> large language models, um, are, are the focus right now. There are a lot of other AI approaches that haven't been utilized like evolutionary learning, uh, probabilistic logic. Those things are not incorporated in AI. It's mostly just, mostly just machine learning right now and a focus on, on language and the tokenization of, 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 of language. So who knows what could come out there now? You mentioned longevity. I find that an interesting topic. Um, and you know, Healthy aging is now what they call it because they realize we might as well just age healthily because longevity is not this linear thing, but there's a lot of implications about people living for living a long time uh uh I'm interested in in healthy uh life extension uh but uh you know the injection of vitamins and something like that I don't know if that's the only i don't know if that's the only thing you need to do I think there's some other energetic stuff you need to be doing, and to do that you probably need to um Know what you're doing, I think, right? And a lot of these really wealthy people that are that are injecting vitamin uh, IVs probably don't know much about that. So
0: it's so interesting that we could go for hours. I had other stuff about U.S.-China relations, Taiwan, semiconductor <laughs> independence. I had a whole like, um, yeah. If you're interested in it, feel free to jump in, and then I'll leave you with a closing thought. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, uh well look, I mean, right now I'm I'm in Hong Kong. I I've lived uh, in the US, Europe, Australia, um and uh I love learning and the learning and it's been the most mind-bending experience to be on this side of the world and experience the culture and ask why might that be that they th- think this way? And who's they exactly anyway? Is it the people, the government, the culture? Um Mm-hmm. I I spend most of my energy there, learning and and asking the questions about I the you know um, American culture is very moralistic. Um, it believes uh, the you know not people necessarily individually. There there is that that level, but most people, the government and the people have come to believe kind of like gaslit themselves. Um, uh Again, not a blanket statement, but this is what's pervaded the media right uh that what we're doing abroad is promoting democracy um but it's much more complicated than that and um and you know the u s isn't happy about china's influence and understandably, but if you look at almost all the conflicts that 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 are happening um there's 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 a lot of it could just be explained by the current sitting power not wanting to give up its throne, you know, and projecting to the other country what they're doing and may not be exactly what their intention is. Um, You know, there's lots of money being poured into trying to understand the Chinese mind and stuff like that, but it's not, there's a lot of discussions not happening in good faith. I don't believe the U S should become like China. I don't believe other countries should become like each other. But there's a lot to learn, and uh, we have these major global challenges now: the unique communication on AI, on climate, um, and and I, I believe the conflict is 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 not good. Right now, we're about to hit Taiwan elections, um, and uh, you know, Taiwan is basically just like Ukraine is going to sacrifice itself if it tries to side too hard with the U.S. side. So it has to find its own stance. It has to find its own. I, I believe these countries need to get out of the influence of one superpower or another they should do what's economically right for them um and and try to find a balance road and not be accepting i think accepting billions of dollars of weapons is 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 not smart for a country um really it's you're acting like a like an aircraft carrier for another nation essentially so who knows that's out. that's that's beyond that's out of my league of understanding because it's not my expertise but I come from the perspective of trying to find peace and coexistence and co-understanding. I have no interest in one country trying to be like another or fighting another, I believe in the power of diplomacy um, and, and getting on with, you know, enjoying each other's existence, enjoying different cultures by visiting those countries, not having a a phobia of certain ethnicities. Um, So you know and i really don't believe i'm being naive about this uh, it's not a pie in the sky people can just decide to start doing this more and being critical of the news um and and facilitating that understanding and going out and 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 saying something you know it's not about taking a stance on one side or the other it's more about i think standing in the nuance and 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 almost remaining transparent and and uh, un uh Uh, On trying to be unscathed and invisible to the forces that try to push you into one side or another, Hong Kong uh, is a beautiful place, but it's it's um, people here a little bit. uh, I can feel the depression because of the fact that Hong Kong is such a flashpoint and has its own economic issues. Um, But I also feel there aren't a lot of issues here that you experience in the U.S. And there are not a lot of issues here that you might experience in China. So it's an interesting, it's its own, it's its own animal. Let's, let's put it that way. Bigger topic, of course, but that's kind of just my uh, wanted to share a little bit about that because that's a part of the journey too, right? So I'm experiencing something it's I'm in a position to do some sense making about it for myself, at least.
0: Thank you so much. It, it's beautiful that we, can go into these topics about technology and, you know, that's AI, robotics, crypto, all these different spaces. And we get back to the humane and the human and the love and the relationship and the experience of being incarnate and alive and, and, and how we can have a, a, joyful, meaningful, peaceful, safe, and, and, you know, just experience of being human beings together on this rock spinning around in the middle of space. And can we treat each other, you know, as the beautiful mantra says with, with kindness, dignity, and respect. And, um, so I thank you so much, Gabriel, for, being here for sharing your mind, for sharing your heart, um, all the layers of your humanity, um, getting to hear you speak about fatherhood to um, diplomacy on a world stage, you know, the scale is unreal. And, and it just, it's the reflection that we are many layers and they all matter. And, the ones within us, the ones between us. And, you know, maybe each just do our part to, I think, really genuinely heal the divide in inside of ourselves first. So that which is coming out of us is an extension of the beautiful tapestry of love and light that is that enabling presence to this big scene that we're all sharing together. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thank you Scott. Um it was really a pleasure. I loved our our dialogue, our back and forth and everything that you kind of were saying um, you know really helped add uh, fleurst kind of my own thoughts and and took it in interesting new hybridized directions which I thought was great in connecting different you know it was, it was just great to to be in dialogue with that uh, with you and you having that other way of viewing it and being able to talk about this big breadth of things and seeing the, and appreciating the interconnectedness and kind of where we're going Mm and where we're hopefully going to steer the ship to, you know, collectively. So I'm really, really grateful. Like this is definitely a great conversation. I'd be happy to do it again.
0: Mm, I would love that. Thank you. And thank you to everybody that joined us or that is joining us right now in real time and whatever time you're living in, maybe that's the past, maybe it's the future, maybe the wormholes collapsed, (laughs) but however it is, we (laughs) we are are so grateful for the, the shared human experience that we get to have. So thank you for being part of this conversation with us and see you next time.